Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. Good to see you. And uh, as Kristen says, thank you for your giving and uh, the blessing that you are to the body of Christ here and seeing so many lives changed for God's glory and His kingdom. Well, we're quarterly, we've taken on this topic of beyond blessed, and it's way more than money. I just want you to know that. But um, I just want to encourage you today as we come. But how many of you know God's blessings and the world's blessings are two different things? How many are with me? Right? Because the world looks at one way, but God's word looks at another. And sometimes what happens is we get those things confused. You know, what does it really mean to be blessed? It reminds me of the story of the Sunday school teacher who wanted to use squirrels as an example of being prepared and getting ready. And she starts the lesson by saying, I'm going to describe something. And I want you to raise your hand when you know what it is. And all the kids, they lean forward. She's like, I'm thinking of something that lives in a tree and eats nuts. And no hands went up. It's gray and has a long, bushy tail. And the children looked around the room at each other, but no one raises a hand. Finally, one little shy boy says, it sure sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer has to be Jesus. The same thing can be in our lives as well. We get a little confused. But listen, this area, Jesus talks about blessing. He answers this question, and it's a little more complex than that. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives eight ways to be blessed. This isn't a three-point sermon today. It's eight points. Can you handle that? I think you can. Good. Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to this portion of Scripture it starts with a string of blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers. Now, I want you to understand the Greek word for blessed is happy. You can go in and look that up at a commentary. You'll find that. The Jews use the term to describe a person that knows Jesus as their personal savior, someone with blessing and favor of God upon their lives. So these eight things are a description of a person that has a personal relationship with Jesus, they know God in their life, and this is how we're called to live as Jesus talks about what it means to be blessed. And I want to warn you, this is totally upside down compared to the world that we live in today. It is totally different. The world sees it one way, but God's word speaks the truth out on what it really means to be blessed. Chapter 5 and verse 1, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. Now, this is, this is really an important detail that unlocks the meaning to the whole thing that I will come back to at the very end of the message. And it continues to go on. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to understand this. The reason why he starts here is because if you and I can get this first statement right in our hearts and in our lives, the rest of these beatitudes fall into place in our lives. It starts there. And he starts with poverty. Poverty of spirit means you embrace daily dependence upon God for all that you need. Poverty of spirit means that you don't feel that you have sufficient resources in yourself to face life's challenges. That is what he is talking about here. That you and I don't just wake up every day and think, well, you know what? I'm all sufficient in myself. God, I don't need you. 
It is less to do with being monetarily rich or poor per se, but whether you embrace daily dependence upon God for all that you and I need. In the Greek, there's two terms for poor. The first refers to those who struggle financially, who had barely enough money to eat, what we call in modern day terms, college students, okay? The second, it meant the outcast of society, those that were despised. These are the kind of poor Jesus is talking about in this passage. Those that are despised, those that are left out, those that are removed, those despised for how weak they are. And these end up being the one, he says, who inherit the kingdom itself, which goes against the culture that we live in today, doesn't it? It sure does. You can apply these principles across broad spectrums of the Christian life that you're living. Also, those who feel that, you know what? I'm capable every single day when I wake up in my career. And so I have no need of anybody else. I'm self-sufficient and I'm all-sufficient. That is what Jesus is talking about in coming against that mindset today. Those who feel capable in their ministries. Oh, God, I've got this handled. I really don't need you. We don't really say, God, I don't need you. We just say, I'm fine. I don't need you, God, right? Inside of ourselves, their relationships, your careers, parenting, you know, those who feel capable as parents will not experience the power of God in your parenting, right? It keeps you on your knees, right? You, you, you constantly, man, you know what? This is challenging work. This is hard work to stay at this. It is when you and I depend upon God and not ourselves for provision, wisdom, power, and guidance that then we access his power. You got to understand this. God only fills empty hands. Are you with me? Say yes. It's why we don't start off a worship service by saying, well, how do you feel today? Well, how do I feel when I come into any time of worship or experience? I feel poor in spirit, like a beggar, like someone spit on me. So tell me about Jesus more than anything else and tell me about the riches that we have in him. Amen. God makes us a people poor in ourselves and mighty in reliance upon him. Now, again, I'm going to comment and go into this a little further before I go on and take the next ones because if you and I can get this one, this is the core to the rest of the Beatitudes. It's so pertinent to the world we live in, and it's pertinent to our society. Most of us have spent our entire lives trying to become anything but poor in spirit. We want to be rich in spirit or at least middle class in spirit. We want to feel like we are sufficient for the task, like we have it all under control, you know, and really Jesus comes against that mindset. And let me just tell you this, not only does this cut off God's help from us, it also corrupts our spirit when we think we're self-sufficient. It corrupts our own spirit. And so that's what it's that. And this is where you start to see the profound wisdom of Jesus starting to come forward and teach you and me. C.S. Lewis talked about the essence of pride is what he says is competition. So Lewis says the quickest way to tell that you have pride is that some other person's pride bothers you. When we become rich in ourselves, we become self-focused, Right? We are raising the most me-focused generation 
in history. Our self-obsession with self-ease, right? Cameras used to be for taking pictures, right? You remember the old cameras? I mean, you didn't see people turn those things around, you know, the big lens. And, but now we do because our smartphones are created that way. It's easy. Just flip it over. Social media is not built on displaying poverty of spirit, but richness of spirit. We're not showing our desperation, but we're showing our surplus. You know, I'm sure like many of you, I've become self-focused and self-righteous many times. And when I do that, I become ungrateful. And ungrateful people are not blessed people, not God's blessed people. When you realize that every breath you take and every step you have in your life is a gift from God and grace that makes you more grateful, then you enter into the blessed life dynamic of God's word. We need to have the spirit of Gideon in the body of Christ. What does he say? I'm the smallest man from the smallest tribe. Or David who said, who am I, God, that you should offer to build me a house and promise me all of these things? Or, or Isaiah who said, woe is me. Things this culture will never teach you. But Jesus teaches us so that we truly understand what a blessed life is. Because then not only we have access to the gift of God's power, we truly live the blessed life. Let me go further. Number four, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Jesus doesn't say why we are mourning here, but mourning goes along with being poor in spirit. When you feel powerless, weak, and unrighteous, you mourn, and God then comforts you. But I look at this and also think, based on Jesus' future teaching, that mourning means a willingness to enter the pain of others and mourn with them. So if you're taking notes, just write this down. Mourning means being relationally connected to others because you need to mourn in community. Don't mourn alone. Right? In our first service, we took time out for a couple that was here who lost their four-month-old son just a few days ago, passed away. And we just took a moment out of the service today, and we laid hands upon them, and we prayed for them. They are going through such grief and loss. So please remember this family. They need the Lord's strength. I think of Jesus' most famous parable, the story of the Good Samaritan Two men passed by, one stops to help. He didn't have to. He didn't even know the guy. There were probably lots of excuses why he shouldn't. He had other stuff to do. It was dangerous. It was costly. The person was of another ethnicity. As we get older, haven't you noticed in yourself the trajectory of our lives is to get more and more isolated? Yeah. Everything in our culture drives us away from each other if we allow it. It fights against us being connected because we're comfortable with looking at a screen. We're comfortable with saying things to people we don't even know and don't even care anyways. As we get older, we have to realize that there is the push against that. And Jesus is coming against this mindset that many times we don't want to connect with our neighbors. We don't want to open our lives to the needy. We don't want to be in a small group because we just think, I don't have time for it. I don't want to hear and listen to other people. We don't even feel like we need other people. Jesus is saying, actually, you'll really never be blessed that way. 
as your heart closes in on you and you get darker and more self-focused, you will never have the blessing that I have for you. You were designed to pour yourself out to others. I'm going to say that again. You and I were designed to pour ourselves out to other people. That's how God designed you. That's exactly the truth. That's what God is saying here. That blessed are the foster parents who take in kids, not because they have to, but because they are entering into the pain of that child and weeping with them. Blessed are those who choose to have kids even though it can mess up their own personal ambitions. Blessed are those who engage in a missions trip overseas to enter into someone else's pain and suffering. See, not only will you be happier. Now, listen, I'm saying happier, blessed, because that's the same word in Scripture. When you enter into the pain of others, you will be then eternally comforted for leveraging your time, talent, and treasure for those around you that are in pain and those that are hurting. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness means taking second place instead of first place whenever you can. It means leveraging your power to serve others and not exalt yourself. I think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, how he showed us this. He deserved the spot of Lord and Master. He took the servant role. But because he did this, Paul explains in Philippians 2 that God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. When you go low, God will take you high. Amen? When you take the role of a servant, the second place, God exalts you. I mean, parents, imagine your kids, you know, going to school and they split their lunch with a child that doesn't have much and they give half their sandwich or three out of their five Oreos. How do you feel? Frustrated or proud? Well, you're proud. And think about what God does for us. He's like, I'll just give you it all. Here it is. Here's my blessing. Here's my forgiveness. Here's my redemption. Here's my mercy. This is what God does. He does it in this life and in eternity because God can't help himself because his nature is to bless. And I'll just tell you this. If you don't know that, you can't outgive God, right? Not to mention what he does in eternity. So let me ask all of us today, how would your like life look different if you always put yourself in the second place and trusted God to take care of you? How would your life look different today if you put yourself in second place and you really trust God enough that, God, you're going to take care of me because you have my best interest? I think it would change us. I think we would really step into a new blessed dynamic, wouldn't we? Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means you crave fellowship with God above everything else. You want to live the right life that Jesus has to offer us. We're all hungry for something. Solomon says that God created within us eternity in our hearts, which means there's the hole the size of eternity inside of every single person inside of this room. And we all choose which way we're going to fill it, whether it's going to be, we're going to try to fill it with money relationships, approval, and on and on and on goes the list. But it can't take the place of God because it's in the shape of God. You know, you realize a bucket, 
that would hold all the water, you know, a family of four uses in a day would kind of be the size of the bed of a pickup truck. Now imagine a bucket so big that all the water in the Atlantic Ocean wouldn't even cover the surface of the bottom. That bucket is your soul. That's how deep God made you. That's how deep God's made you. And we try to fill it with other things to try to fill in the hole. He's made us deep because, once again, Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon says, God has put eternity in your hearts, which means our hearts yearn for something only eternal love and eternal presence and eternal relationship can happen with God. So let me tell you something. If you're totally satisfied with this life, you're, re- you're living the wrong life today. Amen? Because God has put eternity in your soul that is deep and that is wide, and only he can fill it. Money can't do it, right? More money, we think more money is just going to make us happy. No, more money is probably not going to make us happy. It's going to make us feel pretty bad. Give yourself to money, and you'll continue to be worried, selfish, dissatisfied people. Those who hunger for approval never get it enough, and they become proud Petty people obsessed with themselves all the time. But when you give the passions of your heart to God, not only are you satisfied, you become a radiant, life-giving person. That's the blessed life he's called us to live. Verse 7. How many of you are still hanging with me? We're moving through eight points. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? Mercy. The merciful are those who extend forgiveness or generosity to the same measure it's been extended to them. Blessed are the merciful. Oh, what, what if God forgave your sins only according to the measure you forgave others? Like your boss, your wife, husband, your ex, whatever it may be. But scripture goes even to tell us through the talents, the, you know, the man was forgiven of 10,000 talents. He's pointing out a, th- this important place of being blessed, that it comes down the line. Those who know they have been forgiven show that by forgiving others. So you could say that whether you really experience mercy is demonstrated by how much mercy you show one another. And our world needs a desperate amount of mercy at this moment, this moment. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart are those who keep their hearts free of the things that grieve God. What grieves God? Impurity, sin. There are a lot of reasons we, we, we might avoid sin, but the most powerful one is this, that I don't want to sin because I want to know God more, right? That's so true. You can't pursue God and pursue sin at the same time. It doesn't work, right? That's so true in our lives that we have to realize he's saying, listen, I bless that person that wants to be pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That you, write this down if you're taking notes. Purity leads to clarity. So that you, when you and I have purity in our lives, we're able to see things more clearly. We're to hear, able to hear God more clearly, right? Like we're wondering, God, well, what's the next step? Well, that purity will help lead you to clarity. You'll be able to see what is next. We'll be able to know the voice of God because we have direct access to him. Number nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, a peacemaker 
is someone who prioritizes relationships above personal vindication. Like when you have a conflict, you almost have always two sides who both feel that they are right on the issue. Isn't that true? Neither can make peace because he or she feels like, you know what, I'm right, and if I back down, then it looks like I lost, and, and um, the end will never be righted. A peacemaker, someone says, I value the relationship more than I value being right. That's a peacemaker. That's what Jesus came to do. That he valued relationship above being right all the time. That's so true. And so that's what he's impressing upon us. I want you to be peacemakers in your homes, in your workplace. I want you to be a peacemaker in your community or wherever I've placed you. Be a peacemaker there. Value relationships above being right. The Lord, I value this relationship more than I value being personally vindicated as being right in this moment. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before me. So much can be said because this is so vast on any of these, but just to summarize this portion of Scripture, blessed are those who value being right with God above all things. At some point in our life, we suffer. At some point in our life, we all die. At least have the satisfaction that you are suffering for the right thing. Right? To know that you have pleased God and done your duty and you have eternity to look forward to in the reward of what you did upon this earth. Hebrews 12, 2, when Jesus went to the cross, he did so with joy because of saving us. I don't know about you, but I want to have a similar joy when I go to my grave. How about you, right? That we go and we know that we've done what he has called us to do before our days on this earth are through. Two final thoughts. Number one, according to Jesus, being blessed is not a set of circumstances but the fruit of a right relationship with God. That's what it is. To Jesus, remember, not the world's way, but to Jesus, because that's what we're we're preaching, his word today. To Jesus, being blessed is not a set of circumstances, but the fruit of having a right relationship with the Father in heaven. So most of us think that happiness is found in what's next, the circumstances, you know, if this happens, I'll be happy, I'll be blessed. According to Jesus, his blessings are not rooted in a set of circumstances, but the result of being rightly related to his Father in heaven. That's so true. So here's our question. I want to just pose this to you. If life didn't change at all for you from this moment forward, your situation didn't improve, your marital status didn't change, your career didn't progress, your body didn't feel any better, could you be happy with your life? None of the things that we think we need to be happy in life happened to Jesus. In in many ways, what happened to Jesus was like our worst fear. Some of you are single. Well, Jesus was single his whole life. 
He owned no home. He was abandoned by friends. He was misunderstood and maligned all the time. People hated him, constantly tried to kill him and bring his ministry down. But he had joy. Wow. But he had joy in his heart because he knew where he was headed and knew what his father had called him to do. It's big. He had joy. The happiness you were looking for is found in being rightly related to Jesus, securing him, living life like Jesus. Number two, according to Jesus, blessed is a response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Blessed is a response to the gospel. Because Jesus' blessing cannot be disconnected from his good news. One of the most important, most overlooked details where Jesus taught these things from is the detail that I pointed out in verse 1 that really sets this in course is that he had gone up to the mountain to give this teaching. And the teaching he gave was the law. So throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he kept referring back to the Old Testament to Moses' law. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. He's given a new version of the law. It's supposed to remind you and me of another great teacher who had already done that thousands of years before, Moses of Mount Sinai, which leads me to the most common way people misconstrue these teachings. People look at this like, oh my goodness, this is a list and this is what I've got to do in order to do them. Then if I do them, then I earn God's favor and then I earn salvation And as a set of things you must do kind of in order to be blessed by God. That's how many people look at it which is the most common way people misunderstand the original Ten Commandments. They do. Do these and you shall live. But in Exodus, Moses gave the law after salvation. And if you don't ever connect those dots, all you live under is a rule-making God. God had already delivered the Israelites out of slavery from the Egyptians through the Red Sea. And these Ten Commandments were not ways they should live in order to be saved, but because they had been saved, they're going to live the blessed life that God's called them to live. Amen? Do you see that slight perspective change? If you get that, that's the truth, right, of His Word. But because they've done that, because I'm saved, that's how I'm going to live. Through the commandments, God kept saying, I am the God who delivered you up from Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods. You should not kill, steal, lie. You know, should be honoring, obeying your parents. In the same way, these eight things are the things we do because we have been saved. That Jesus, I want to do them because I'm in right relationship with you. Are you with me? So you could read them like this. Because Jesus has saved us, we can be poor in spirit because we know he promises to be our sufficiency in all times. Because Jesus saved us, we can enter into others' pain and mourn because that's what he did for us. Because Jesus saved us, we can be meek and take second place because that's what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus saved us, we can hunger and thirst for righteousness because the God of righteousness has now become our Savior. Because Jesus saved us, we can't help but being merciful to others because that's how he was and is to us. Because Jesus saved us, 
We want to be pure in heart so we can know him more. Because Jesus saved us, we can prioritize peace instead of vindication because that's what he did with us. Because Jesus saved us, we can endure persecution because Jesus' resurrection shows us it is worth it. Amen. I believe there's probably people here today that you're not in right relationship with God. And it's in this moment that you can change the trajectory of where you're headed for eternity. That in this service, in this moment, where you were led and have been led and lied to by the enemy and tempted in the way of going to hell today, in a moment, by you realizing your sinful behavior, realizing you're not living the life that God wants you to live, that you can change that and you can change where you're headed for in eternity. The only thing that's going to satisfy you is Jesus. That's it. You haven't figured that one out, young people? That's the only thing that's going to satisfy you because the selfies, they come and go. The likes come and go because a like one day is hate another. Right? But you realize when you're in right relationship with the Lord, then you begin to fill that huge gap, that God-sized gap that's inside of you today. And so to those of you that are here today that would say, you know what? I've realized I'm not right in relationship with the Father in heaven. And the way that you do that is through Jesus Christ because you realize what he has done, what we just celebrated a moment ago in communion, that we remembered what he did for us. And that God, you know what? This is not a list of just all these things you want me to do. I am doing this because, Jesus, I love you, and you showed the way, and you forgave me, and you care for me, and you comfort me, and you, Lord, thank you for that today. If there's those of you in this room right now that have never made a decision for Jesus, would you just take a moment and just raise your hand right now? Because this is a moment for you to accept Christ into your life. Come on, can I see your hand? Don't be ashamed. Come on. Anyone here? I might not even see a hand. I see one hand back here. Anyone else? To come in right relationship with the Father in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Online, it's as easy as you taking a moment right now and clicking that hand button and raising that hand and our online host will pray with you believe for you. We had a number of people in our first service, two online that came to Christ. And we believe that many more are coming to Christ even now. That we are in right relationship with the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you want a relationship with us through Jesus, your Son. That Lord God, that we can be assured today Maybe nothing will change in the scenario of our heart, but God, we can still be blessed people. We can still be happy with a biblical happiness because you said, as we follow after you, that we do these things because we have a relationship with you. And that, Lord, for every person that raised their hand that desires to come in right relationship with you, that they will take this moment and accept you as Lord and Savior and confess their sins 
the Bible says, because you're faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, and so allow that moment, this moment, even right now, so that where there's purity, there's clarity. So the people that haven't been able to see their future because it's been clouded by sin and wrong relationship at this moment are coming in right relationship with you, Father, and that they are going to see the path forward with clarity, Lord Jesus, in their life, for their home, for their marriage, for their workplace, for their children, for their campus, Lord, in the name of Jesus today. And that, God, the blessings come because we understand that it is connected to the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I thank you for that today. And I thank you, Lord, that we love you and you loved us first. And, Lord, I just pray that we would reject the fear of being blessed, of being happy, and being free. Because your word says that we can have it. We can have it. It's ours to be had in you. So thank you for the good news of the gospel. And thank you for those that came to Christ today and found you and accepted you in as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.